0: Love Talk Radio Welcome to the Mind Whisperer. My name is Michael Gordon and I'm your host. And um, hope you're having a so far relatively stress free holiday season. Uh, welcome to all of you who are tuning in live right now on Blog Talk Radio and to those of you who are tuning in after the show has aired because we're a- archived here on the website. Um, for those of you who um would like to call in, um reminding you that this is an interactive show and hoping at some point to uh build an interactive audience, the number to call is area code 347-945-7891. That's 347-945-7891. And of course, if you're listening into the recorded program, um you will not reach the program during those times. We air uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time. So, on to today's program, uh, the subject of which is very provocatively titled Sex, Love, and Other Drugs. Now Why have I chosen this topic for today? Well, it was actually suggested by a listener, and thank you for that suggestion. And topic really is addressing what's going on psychophysic you know in terms of our psychophysiology mind and body in the process of getting wired into sexual attraction love attachment and really the addictive process with um drugs and you know just addressing that very title of the program um it gives you a hint right there because attraction and how it affects our biochemistry and uh, uh our our desire, you know, and, and lust and sexual appetite um does at some point become um kind of an addictive process and we'll get into that a little bit in the program today and as i always say please feel free to call in at any time uh, i really want your uh, questions your comments anything that um, is you know on your mind and a concern to you or a curiosity or a comment on on this topic or any other topic. It's a, it's an open format show. Really, even though we have um, set topics, program to program week to week, we've kind of covered a wide range of topics here on the show, and they all kind of come back to this common ground of um, really trying to work with this evolutionary design we have in the human brain and nervous system, and operate from sort of a higher functioning and um, you know rational, calm, self control, and and to you know, uh, engage ourselves in the most humane and um, wise and uh, self-actuated way possible, uh, despite our conditioning over thousands of years and certainly within our lifetimes within our families. So, all of us at some point or another presumably have experienced, or m- most of us, I should say, um, you know that that rush of Adrenaline in our body, and and um, you know the heart racing and the excitement at and attraction to somebody um, in a in a sexual way or in an emotional intimate way. And there's a whole raft of chemical processes that are going off in the brain and the body um, as that process unfolds and why it unfolds. Now, um, before I get into Uh, talking about that process specifically, I just want to sort of generally address, you know, what's going on when we are um, attracted and and why we're motivated. And in terms of reproductive sexuality, um, you know, in heterosexual relations, uh, I should say, in terms of bonding and pairing for reproduction, um, even though, of course, same-sex couples can have um, kids together, biologically, it's... um, you know, not quite as a natural process as it would be for a same-sex couple to get in vitro, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of the that heterosexual compatibility, the gender-wise, there are very different motivations going on. There's a lot of great research out now. Um, some of it has been um, very entertainingly uh, brought together in a book that I'm currently reading called The Social Animal by New York Times author um, David Brooks, which is a sort of a, fa- a really fantastic Uh, compelling kind of read about a fictional couple, and it sort of outlines what's going on um, in the underlying sort of body-mind processes as this couple gets together and they have a child and what's going on with the child's development. And loosely put, men and women do have a very fundamentally different approach to what motivates us to, to, to seek and attract a partner. And biologically speaking... Um, from this evolutionary standpoint, men are really driven visually, first of all, much more than women. And so visually men are scanning for a particular type, and and the, the, the criteria really does come down to attractiveness. Is this going to be someone who's visually appealing, and that sets off a whole queue of um, impulses and responses in the body, um, that this is a good mate for me, and then of course, you know, she'll be um, a sturdy mother, and um, et cetera, et cetera. But that initial impulse is one of, act- of visual attractiveness. And in fact, um, there's been research now that identifies a specific aspect of female appearance to males, which is a 0.73, yes, it's very detailed, um, and a very specific number, 0.73 ratio of waist-, of waist to hip. And that just means that there's a certain relationship between the waist and the hip. and doesn't necessarily re- relate to... Height, it transfers across all different kind of heights and body types. But essentially, it's that balance that's that's appealing to to men. And and it will supersede, you know, the appearance, the the facial appearance, as long as the body ratio is there. So a woman can be less attractive in you know, in terms of her uh, facial appearance, and and outward beauty that way. But if she has that waist to hip ratio, um, it'll still override. And it doesn't work in reverse. So David Brooks' book goes into length about this. Uh, For women, it's quite a different thing. Women are actually scanning to look for an appropriate mate and someone who's going to be secure and dependable. Now, you can put together all kinds of other things um, that are there from the research about um, predicting behaviors. And, again, one of the other motivating things for men is men are more likely to engage immediately in sex, Um, and women are, um, are going to be a little less prone to Jumping in because they first of all, the male population is more um, susceptible to, as Brooks calls it, lemons in the gene pool. The men are more likely to be uh, engaged in criminal behavior and self-destructive behavior and infidelity, et cetera, et cetera. And the stats all show this. So for women, um, there and there have been experiments done this way uh, to show this. Um, they're a little bit more skeptical and standoffish when it comes to getting involved. Now, part of the reason for that is that, and now we're getting into some biochemistry here, that um, one of the most significant hormones in the body is called oxytocin. And oxytocin is a neuropeptide, and it is present during uh, labor, so when the fetus is in the womb, the mother is uh, sending out oxytocin, which the fetus is also um, absorbing and it's signaling their predeveloped brain to do the same. And uh, it, it, that flush of neuropeptides into the uterus uh, causes contractions in the womb. And it signals the baby that this is a good thing to do and come out into the world. And it's an early sign uh, that the child can um, connect to the mother and is preparing to bond. And when the baby is born, oxytocin continues to be released in the breast milk, and so the baby is immediately signaled that this is a positive experience. So this pleasurable hormone, neuropeptide, also signals neuronal development for the the, um, fetus and then the the neonatal infant to um, be connected to the mother and feel safe in the world. And so this experience kind of continues. And as we evolve, and presumably as a healthy you know, child with a healthy attachment, to child, in childhood, um, and we have the capacity to um, get, you know, develop relationships and bond with other people, which is supremely important, Uh, then when we are attracted to another person and we um, get into a sexual relationship with them, you know, consensual adult sexual relationship with them, um, and we make love and we have orgasm together, then oxytocin is also released. And so it signals the brain that this is a positive bonding experience. And there's another uh, substance that's also released to a lesser extent, which is called vasopressin. And the same effect. Now, um, all kinds of other stuff is going on in that initial rush of drugs in the brain um, in terms of attraction. And uh, one of those is... um, Dopamine, and you've heard of dopamine, and dopamine is another uh, neurotransmitter which is related to um, pleasure and the reward circuit in the brain, and I'll get to that in a moment. And um, endorphins are another substance that uh, is triggered in the release of those, those pleasurable experiences and the rush of those experiences, as well as norepinephrine, which is a neurotransmitter, And um, uh, noradrenaline is another name for that, which may sound more familiar. So you get that fast racing heartbeat, your palms get sweaty, um, there's an anticipatory response that, you know, I'm going to see this person, and you get all excited, and then there's, again, a release of dopamine when you do see them, and which, you know, is associated with affection and being connected and liked and all all these things. Now, there's something very interesting about this process, and this is where it ties into the other drugs, that are mentioned in the title of the program today. And that is, in terms of pharmacology, which is substances that have an effect on our biochemistry and our mind-body state, um, there's two terms which are really important here. And I don't want to get too scientific, but they're relevant terms, and, and you can take them away if you want. But I'll simplify them for you. The one term is endogenous, which means Inside, internal, and native, native to our um, physiology and our anatomy. And the other term is exogenous, which means outside of, outside of our organism system. And so, a very fascinating thing is is that no matter what substance we can externally synthesize or take, it has the same pharmacology um, on the body, which is that there, are, there have to be receptors, and this was a profound discovery um, in, in human biochemistry. Um, there have to be receptors in the brain and the body in order to process a response um, in our nervous system associated with the effect of that drug. So this is really important. Um, when you look at opiates like, say, heroin, or morphine, or et cetera, et cetera, um, those opioid substances only have an effect on our on our mind and body because we have opi- opiate receptors in the brain and in the body, which they affect. so they're like a little lock, and uh, the presence of that uh, outside exogenous substance is like a little key that fits in that lock, that receptor site, and it turns on that chain of events in, in, in our brain and in our body in the nervous system. Now, uh, a, a name that you might be familiar with, if you saw the documentary, What the Bleep Do We Really Know? Or What, do, what the Bleep Do We Know? I can't remember which one it is. It's been so long. But there's a very credible um, researcher, um, and she's actually, her field of expertise is in psychopharmacology. So it's the you know, mind-body process around, um, for lack of a better term, drugs in the body. And her name is Candice Pert. And Candace Pert um, wrote a book called The Molecules of Emotion, and it's a fantastic book. I really recommend you get the book. Um, the thesis of the book is basically uh, outlined in this film, which is that we get wired into mood and behavioral responses that are associated with a whole chemical process in the body. And we used to think that emotion was processed in the brain; it was a synaptic, you know, uh, chain of events like an electrical storm in your brain that lit up and that signaled the rest of the body that you were having experience. And we now know that that's not true, partly because of Candace Purt's work. And the reason her book is called Molecules of Emotion is that she identified these neuropeptides. She actually developed a process to assay or, or sample um, and isolate these neuropeptides. Now, initially what they were looking for in the study that, that was so groundbreaking was a, a way to counteract Um, the effects of heroin in the body. And so what they presumed in their experiments was, well, if heroin is having an impact on the body, then there must be a receptor somewhere that it's acting on. And this led to the accidental discovery of endorphins. And endorphins, you may know from uh, the popular media and and science, um, are basically the body's pain-killing neurotransmitter substance. Um, For example, when you are exercising and running, you know the runners high, as they call it, um when you hit the wall and you break through, endorphins are released, and coincidentally endorphins are released when you meet somebody you're really attracted to, and it releases a sense of well being and um security in the body and ease. It's basically the body's own painkiller, so um this led uh Candace Pert to do some. Uh, a lot more research into these neuropeptides, and what she found is that the neuropeptide receptor sites are all over the human body. And so the effect of um, experiencing, you know, these chemical responses in the body is not just in the brain, it's all over. And this includes emotional responses, and these receptor sites aren't just in the brain, they're in the gut, they're all over, they go through all the different bodily systems. So that's why she termed the book Molecules, of emotion, because these neuropeptides are really carrying the information and the triggers for our emotional experience. Now, um, what's fascinating about that is that we can actually get wired into a certain kind of response, anger, jealousy, um, vengefulness, um, attachment, joy, attraction, all these things. And uh, these receptor sites will increase in population, and the other ones will recede and no longer those receptor cells will no longer longer populate those areas, and the other ones will gain strength. And so your body and your mind are basically at a genetic or at a cellular level are wired into reproducing those experiences. Now, this, of course, leads us to a very interesting point, which is about addiction. And so we can see that addiction isn't all a conscious process whatsoever, that um, we become habituated to a kind of need or response at a deeper level, and your body gets wired to being accustomed to it. So let's come back to our attraction and, uh, and, and the, the, the sex and love model. So here we have uh, met somebody. It sets off this flush of um, emotional response and chemical response in the brain and the body, the dopamine, the oxytocin. So you're getting all these signals that signal you as an organism. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. This is a possible mate, um, and there's a match. Um, Now, that's the the issue of relationship is a whole other story. We'll, we'll, We'll get into that later. I'm sorry, I have to pause this call for just a moment. Someone's at my door. I'm just going to put the music on for just a moment. Bear with me. Jumped right in, took no time to reckon in. Tortured picture we became. Tried to step out of the frame. Time only knows when the healing comes again. Were we suffering blows? Was it necessary?